Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 to 1. Uh, you can listen on DAB, on your smart speaker, on the Times Radio app or at times.radio. So you've got no excuse for not listening. But here on the podcast, we bring you the best of the show. It's a Wednesday, so today's episode is, of course, PMQ's Unpacked. When I'm joined by Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times, to pause the action live from the House of Commons as Keir Starmer, appearing via Zoom from home, uh, went up against Boris Johnson, what, 24 hours after the we passed that grim landmark of 100,000 deaths from coronavirus. That's coming up later in the episode. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Camp Alice. That's John Kampner and Alice Thompson. I suppose we should start with the... Uh terrible news we had yesterday inevitable you know we, we we knew it was coming but it still sort of brings you up short when you realize it uh the grim milestone of a hundred thousand uh deaths yesterday uh, boris johnson has said the government did all they could uh and he apologized and his apology makes many of the front pages today i'm just really interested in apologies like this it's one of those things where people always ask prime ministers will you apologize for this and then when they do people say it's not good enough or it's not quite right or he also can't apologize for the right thing what did you you make of the tone of uh, boris johnson's apology yesterday uh, alice i think the problem is that everyone now feels so much that it's too little too late and that um you know we've forgotten that he had the coronavirus and that they would so you know, it was difficult times for him to right near the beginning but there is just a terrible sense now that with 100,000 dead, we got it you know, wrong in a way that so many countries didn't. And Tom Whipple wrote this brilliant write-through piece today in The Times, really talking about just how much worse. You know, we had 4,000 times more of a chance of dying compared to someone in Vietnam. That, you know, Britain that was meant to be at the forefront of pandemics and meant to be the most um, in control and other countries looked to, ended up having just this you know, terrible, terrible time when I don't think any of us thought we would be this bad. We all thought, you know, plucky little Britain was great at this kind of thing. And obviously uh, that hasn't happened. So whatever Boris says and however much he apologises, um, and even if the vaccine rollout is faster than most other countries and perhaps Israel and um, some of the Middle East, I think we're still going to have that sense that we just got it terribly, terribly wrong. 
what did you think, John? What did you think of the of the apology? And do I mean apologies? I mean they are essentially just words, but you know we demand them and then we we complain about them afterwards. Yeah, I mean he got the tone of yesterday right. Uh, there was none of the sort of hubristic, um, best of Britain, world-beating nonsense that he has trotted out most times that he's appeared on that podium. He finally, I got a, I, I looked, you look into his eyes and you just saw maybe, just maybe, this clown who thinks all the time he can sort of joke his way through everything has finally realised that his whole approach was misguided and that he's out of his depth. Now, and I don't say that to make silly points, I say that because 100,000 people have died and as Alice has said, it is massively out of proportion to pretty much every country with one or two exceptions, including the United States, and Trump adopted in bigger relief exactly the same arrogant, exceptionalist nonsense that Johnson did. And it's not declinism, it's not scoring points to simply say, yes, the people in charge of the administration of this country are responsible not they're not responsible for the virus, but they are responsible for the astronomical and consistent level of failure that they've presided over. And I just cannot, I just find it extraordinary. Some of the people on Twitter yesterday, and yeah, Twitter is a sort of self aggrandizing thing. We're going on about, oh, the people criticizing Boris Johnson, do they have no shame? Do they have no sensitivity of the stuff he's been through? Excuse me, he chose to put himself up for this job. And if you're not competent, you shouldn't do it. The, what about, the thing that struck me was the um, the way that Boris Johnson, I mean, like he's the Prime Minister who faced a lot of criticism, but I think, certainly the last time I checked the polling, Chris Whitty, Patrick Vallance, still very popular. And actually, if you go back to this time last year and the run-up to... Uh, the lockdown. It was Chris Whitty and Patrick Vallance out saying, no, we're three weeks ahead of Italy. Uh, you know, we don't need to do this thing yet or do that thing yet. And in those very, I mean, I think there's a separate question about what went on last autumn when the scientists were clearly saying something different and Boris Johnson held off. But right at the very beginning, the sci- British scientists had this sort of exceptionism. They thought they had all this extra data and we could time it exactly right and all that. And actually some of the other countries who far less advanced um, scientific uh, expertise, just shut down and they went, went for And I just wonder why it's interesting that, that Boris Johnson rightly gets lots of criticism, but actually we still seem to have a lot of faith in um, Patrick Vallance and Chris Whitty, who were there right at the beginning, and they made those calls too, Alice. I think they've learned on the job, and I think also that um, actually the one thing that this pandemic has taught us is to trust the scientists, and I think they got it right a lot of the time. I mean, by the second and third lockdown, they were really pushing for early lockdowns. I also think if you look at the rest, I mean, the Britain, one place we really did well was with our uh, scientific research into vaccines, um, particularly at Oxford, but then AstraZeneca at um, Cambridge. So I don't think you can really blame them. And I, don't, I think the public's understood that. That's why their ratings are still so high. I think actually it's been fantastic to watch how we haven't really accepted what celebrities say anymore and we're not as obsessed by them. And in fact, they're, they're, they're sort of redundant now, whereas scientists have risen in our estimation and they should have done because they 
really looked at the figures when everyone else has been desperate. The only side I would say that they probably missed slightly is that sense of um, parents desperate for their children to go back to schools um, and people, it's the emotional side, people missing their loved ones so much and the behavioural side of it, what people are prepared to do and what they aren't prepared to do. But that's what the government should be doing. And actually what happened is the government weren't really using the science effectively enough. They were thinking too much about their own political advantage some of the time, I feel, um, and not enough about what was actually going to be best for this country. In terms of uh, politics, there was a really um, interesting piece by Tom McTague in The Atlantic this week about... Uh, and I think this is a sort of well-documented uh, phenomenon of you always sort of remember the, the most recent thing and the part of your experience. And basically what, what Boris Johnson will be banking on is that um, people will remember, well, I got vaccinated. We've all been vaccinated. That's all good news, more so than what happened further ago in the past. Um, and, you know, obviously what Keir Starmer needs to do if he's going to try and uh, sort of pin this on Boris Johnson is to get fo- people to focus on the bad stuff. What do you make of Labour's role in the last 12 months, John? And, uh, you know, it, it's sort of interesting. Now they say they've got everything wrong. Was at the time the Labour Party was supporting all of it? And that, in fact, I think John Ashworth, Shadow Health Secretary, was on Times Radio Breakfast this morning. He called for a lockdown on the day, for the first time, on the day that Boris Johnson announced it last year. So I'm not sure the Labour Party sort of, you know, necessarily bathed itself in glory on this. But, but where do they go from here? Have they, have they uh, um, done the role of, a, of an opposition? And how can they ensure that they, because you know, it's amazing, they're still neck and neck in the polls with the Tories, given everything that's happened on Boris Johnson's watch. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I, I read also Tom Tegg's piece, good piece, uh, an original piece. Um, and I think he's right in that memories are short. I mean, I find it astonishing that memories are short. And this isn't, you know, to me, I would be as furious um, if it were a Labour administration who had presided over. It's not just 100,000 deaths. It's also the sharpest GDP for of any equivalent country, well above the Eurozone, well above other countries, um, well above the United States. So in a way, if Johnson was hoping to do a sort of lockdown light in order to preserve the economy, he has presided over a double whammy. So the economic and social recovery is going to be slower, but still his poll ratings are not as low as they should be and Starmer are not as high as they should be. I've been disappointed uh, with the way Starmer has dealt with it. He worked from the assumption of two things, and he was probably right in both. The election's not going to take place until 2024, so you don't, you know, you don't uh, blow your own trumpet too much at the moment. You sort of put the building blocks in place. And also, the country is so traumatised by COVID, it doesn't want to, quote, play politics, unquote, with it. And that means it doesn't particularly want to hear a huge amount from the opposition. And he may be right on those two things, and he has devoted much of this year to sort of detoxifying the brand, to ridding it of a lot of the uh, worst aspects of Corbynism, in fact, pretty much all aspects of Corbynism. And he's been doing a lot of the internal housekeeping work. Uh, And he's, but in other ways, he's been sort of almost doing a Johnson light, uh, uh, doing his uh, video uh, moments with the British flag in the background and getting involved in that absurd uh, proms, rule Britannia nonsense last summer and all that kind of thing. And what we haven't had from him, it's one thing to say, yeah, we are not extremists, we are not Corbynists. 
but not to be extremist doesn't mean that you don't have a position and that you are not incredibly strong both in your critique of government but also in your recipe for what you do and they have been so tame and so lame that they haven't uh it's not just uh reaped the political benefit which is cynical but they haven't actually given people cause for for hope that there is a political alternative yeah, no, I think I, yeah, it's diff- difficult to, to disagree with that. Um, let's move on, because, Alice, I want to talk about your column today. And I think for the first time ever since we've been doing this uh, slot, someone's got in touch to thank uh, so thank uh, one of our columnists before we've even discussed the column. Paul uh, got in touch this morning to say, please thank Alice for a comment piece on It's a Sin Today. It's a powerful read about a must-watch programme. And we completely binged this Channel 4 series over the weekend and just one of the most brilliant funny, heartwarming, heartbreaking uh, pieces of drama I've seen in such a long time. I was I was just gutted that it, it when it finished. But Alice, you use your column in The Times today to talk about your own personal experience of, of losing a close friend uh, to AIDS uh, 30 years ago. Yes, yeah, so I found it very difficult to write, really, because I think for a long time I tried to forget it almost, that you... The AIDS epidemic was just so appalling for those of us who went through it and had friends who died from it and my husband's closest friend died from it and my brother's closest friend died from it and it was awful because you just never really talked about it throughout my 20s I remember even when my friend died and you know I was in the office and I was in pieces but you didn't say why you know what they died of because the families didn't want to know they it was just such a shameful period in a way and actually that's what I loved about watching it's a sin was that it made you realise just how joyful the period was too and the clubbing and the dancing and the music um, that overlaid that horrendous period. But the other problem is that you know, we've now gone into the next pandemic and it just reminds you of that AIDS era. And it, and it does upset me when people say, oh, you know, we haven't seen anything like this before or we didn't know this was going to happen because you know, anyone who lost someone during AIDS you know, did know that these things could happen and did know that people could be singled out and, you know, then, then it was people who were, you know, either, as actually Russell Davis says in the, the brilliant series, he says it's all people with H, so it's, you know, it's heroin addicts, but it's haemophiliacs and it's uh, homosexuals. And you think, you know, this time it's the elderly and uh, people who've already got comorbidities. Um, and it just brought it all back. It really did. And I think that we should remember that we did go through this 40 years ago. And those parallels, particularly the first episode when they're when uh, it's the character Richie who's joking about, oh, it's all a hoax, and you know it, it can't possibly be right, and and the parallel. I don't I don't know when it was written in films, but I assume it was pre the pandemic, the current pandemic. Um, but those parallels of people who don't want to believe it or you know can't quite believe it, and then you know the way that the, particularly the early cases and the way that people are just treated appallingly and. <clears throat> and you know, left to die on their own, and we're still, you know, thirty years on, we've still not learnt that lesson, and the same thing is um, happening again. Have you seen it, John? No, I haven't. I must confess. So therefore, I should uh, not not seek to sort of blag or co- or comment on it. But Alice's column um, is incredibly moving, um, and I also had um, friends. A brother of a very good friend of mine died. But it is interesting that. Um, <laughs> When one's looking at that whole era, and as I say, I haven't seen the series, but I did um, see a brilliant exhibition, uh, which wasn't talked about that 
much. It was at the Wellcome uh, Institute, the brilliant science uh, institute and museum uh, in central or north London near, near Euston. It had a brilliant exhibition a few years ago, very prescient, in fact, about uh, diseases and, and health crises. Before the pandemic, this was, but it included SARS. And it had a really brilliant section on uh, the AIDS crisis. And you could put your headphones on and watch and listen to those awful government adverts uh, with tombstones and dark music and vultures and all this sort of thing. And they were incredibly scary. But you did feel then that there was almost a sense of, as Alice says, the sort of the, the people suffering from suffering, quote unquote, from all the H's. Um, and it's it almost the, the narrative at the time was this is a fringe activity and, quote, normal, unquote, people won't be affected by it. Uh, and you reap what you sow. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing the series, just partly to see just hopefully how hugely fast society has moved on since then. That was John Campano and Alice Thompson there. Of course, you can read them both when they write for The Times. You just need to get yourself a Times subscription. Go online now to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. A weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, Anne Summers CEO Jacqueline Gold talks candidly about her parents' divorce and how she coped with a shocking period of childhood sexual abuse. They say the best form of revenge is success, and I believe that. It was just turning something negative into a positive. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. Jacqueline Gold, in her own words. Now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. It's Wednesday. It must be time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time on a Wednesday when we bring you PMQ's Unpacked, where we pause the action live from the House of Commons to try and explain what is going on in the key exchanges between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. 
explain what they're talking about, analyse a bit as to who is winning the argument and who isn't. And then after the 12.30 news, we'll bring you the best of the West so that you don't have to sit through the tedious questions and we just tell you the stuff that matters. Tim Shipman is here as ever political editor of the Sunday Times. Uh, Tim, what do you expect to dominate today? Well, it, it would be very surprising, wouldn't it, if Keir Starmer didn't follow up on those news headlines. Um, uh, 100,000 dead yesterday, the Prime Minister... Uh, apologising to the country and saying he'd done everything he could. Um, we know Labour don't agree with that. And it's an opportunity for Starmer uh, to give Boris Johnson a very hard time. And looking at how he looked yesterday, uh, he looked like a broken man at various parts of that uh, uh, press conference. Um, not happy at all. So uh, it's going to be difficult terrain. And if Starmer wants to cause more trouble with inter-cabinet uh, disagreements, that, that Borders announcement um, is coming, but we also know that the Home Secretary and the Health Secretary would like to have gone a heck of a lot further. So if uh, Starmer wants to pick at the scabs of Tory disagreements, he could do that too. And that could be, because it was sort of the theme of uh, PMQs last week, was uh, Keir Starmer sort of trying to um, divide off Pretty Patel over her suggestion that she'd um, called for uh, the borders to be closed in March last year and been overruled by the Prime Minister. Also, the, the question of these lost um, records at the Home Office. So it's interesting if he does go down that road to sort of to try and drive a wedge, because in a way, it's not a great surprise if the Labour Party don't agree with the Prime Minister, but pointing out that some members of his own cabinet don't agree is a slightly more uh, serious attack. Yeah, though I suspect today is a day for big arguments and big picture. And, you know, we've reached this pretty grim milestone and um, there's quite a lot to say about how we got there. I mean, the figures are pretty staggering. The first 50,000 people died in 270 odd days. The second 50,000 died in 79 days. And uh, there's quite a lot that the leader of the opposition can uh, probe into there, I would have thought. OK, well, we go live now then to the House of Commons. Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, appearing from home because he is self-isolating. They seem to alternate these days, Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, over, um, over who gets to do it from the front room. Um, uh, Boris Johnson's just been answering a question from uh, Raymond Chisty, who's a Tory MP, uh, uh, to kick things off. Uh, Boris Johnson looking a bit smarter possibly than yesterday. He's brushed his hair. Uh, let's go to Keir Starmer. The Prime Minister, in his remarks about Holocaust Memorial Day, uh, this evening I'll be joining the UK ceremony and lighting a candle to remember the six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust, uh, along, of course, with the other genocides and persecutions that have taken place around the world. Mr Speaker, yesterday we passed the tragic milestone of 100,000 Covid deaths in the United Kingdom. That's not just a statistic. Behind every death is a grieving family, a mum, a dad, a sister, a brother a friend, a colleague, a neighbour. The question on everyone's lips this morning is why? The Prime Minister must have thought about that question a lot. So can he tell us why he thinks that the United Kingdom has ended up with a death toll of 100,000, the highest number in Europe? Prime Minister... Mr. Speaker, uh, like the right honourable gentleman, I mourn every death in this pandemic and we share the grief of all those who have been bereaved, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, let him be in no doubt, and let there has been no doubt, that I and the government take full responsibility for all the actions I have taken, we've taken uh, during this uh, pandemic to fight this disease. And yes, Mr. Speaker, there will indeed be a time when we must learn the lessons of, of what has happened 
reflect on them and prepare, Mr Speaker. I don't think that moment is now when we are in the throes of fighting this wave of the new variant when 37,000 people are struggling with COVID in our hospitals. And I think what uh, the country wants is for us to come together as a parliament and as, a, as, a, as politicians and to work to keep the virus under control, Mr Speaker, as we are, and to continue to roll out the fastest vaccination programme in Europe. I think that is where the minds of the public are fixed. Okay, let's just pause uh, the Commons feed there and just jump in there. Tim, as you expected, quite a sombre mood from both sides. Uh, In a way, uh, the the most striking question from uh, Keir Starmer is why? Why are we in this situation of 100,000 having died? Um, Boris Johnson stressing he takes full responsibility. It's interesting this though that this argument now is not the time to reflect on what worked and what didn't. When actually some might say, well, if if we'd reflected maybe last summer on what went wrong in March, we might not have seen things go wrong again in September and then in November and then in January. Yeah, I mean, it's a split argument, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, Boris Johnson's right. You probably shouldn't be launching a, a public inquiry at this point because that would take away resources. But but you're right. Um, I think. A lot of people worked out what went wrong last spring um, by last autumn, um, and some of those mistakes have been repeated, um, partly because of the Prime Minister's optimism and partly uh, because they thought they had a better control of things uh, before this second, third, fourth variants all raised their heads. But people had warned that there might be such things, um, and we didn't seem ready for that. Um, But there was, you know, a tone of slight contrition from the prime minister there i think he's obviously feeling this pretty heavily um but he also says now is not the time to reflect on what went right but then finishes his answer by saying well the vaccination program is going brilliantly so uh good for us um you know and on that front he's right um when you look at some of the mess that's going on in europe um you you have to wonder what the headlines would look like if we were still in the eu and we were subjected to the uh, european commission's uh, procurement uh, activities um so on that front he does have a good story to tell and a lot of the focus groups i've been sitting through again this week you know the benefit of the doubt is still being given to the government which is why it's, it's a challenge really for Starmer. That. yeah yeah it's the thing that comes up time and time again in the focus groups that we do uh, let's go back it doesn't feel this doesn't feel yet like a pmq so we're going to get captain hindsight wheeled out in the sort of jokey banterish way but let's, well, it's early let's, days, let's go early yeah, days. Early, it is early days let's go back to keir starmer turning to keir starmer keir starmer thank you mr speaker uh, I, i'm sure the prime minister regrets the fact that a hundred thousand people have lost their lives the question is why why has the united kingdom the highest number of deaths in europe Why has the United Kingdom a death rate that's higher than almost anywhere in the world? The Prime Minister is going to have to answer that question one day. And he should have the decency to answer it today. A few days ago, the chief scientific officer said, and this was his view, prepare to give it now. The lesson, he said, is you've got to go hard early and broad, if you're going to get on top of this, waiting and watching simply doesn't work. Does the Prime Minister agree with that? Mr Speaker, when you have a new virus, and indeed when you have a new variant of that virus of the kind that we have in this uh, this country, uh, when you have uh, dilemmas as hard uh, and as heavy as this government has had to face over the last year, I must tell the right honourable gentleman 
there are no easy answers. A perpetual lockdown is no answer, Mr Speaker. Uh, but we will continue to do, as I've said to the House, I've said to you, Mr Speaker, to do everything we can to roll out our vaccine programme, uh, to give the public the protection that they want and deserve. And uh, as, I, as I speak to you today, Mr Speaker, 6.9 million people in our country have had the, uh, the vaccine. Uh, we're in, on target, uh, if we can get the supplies, uh, to deliver the, uh, the uh, target of uh, JCVI 1 to 4, the most vulnerable groups, by the 15th of February. And I hope uh, very much to be in the next... Uh, a few weeks, Mr Speaker, to be setting out uh, in much more detail how this country can exit now from the pandemic. Uh, so that's Boris Johnson. There. I mean, Keir Starmer essentially asking the same question again. I'm not sure he's going to get very far. We try to get the Prime Minister to admit that mistakes were made. Um, he again moving on to talk about six six point nine million. I mean, that's well over now. One in 10 people in this country have had the vaccine. Um, which is an extraordinary thing. And I suppose part of you wonders, well, if we could do that so well, maybe we could have, you know, sort out PPE and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but that line, we've got, um, uh, we are on target if we can get the supplies, he said. Is this, do you think this is slightly laying the, the ground for, for trouble on the vaccine front, Tim, if this, this sort of global vow about access to, to vaccines escalates? Yeah, clearly. I mean, you know, the one thing they did get right on the vaccines, if you take those words of Patrick Vallance about restrictions and put them into vaccines, you have precisely what the British government did. They did go hard and broad and early. They bought up everything they could across, you know, many different vaccines. And they did it before uh, most countries in the world had got their act together. What they haven't done is the same thing on restrictions when it's looked like um, you know, you might need tougher restrictions approaching. Boris Johnson has been very reluctant to do that. And I thought that answer of his was one of the most revealing we've ever heard at Prime Minister's Questions. He talked about um, the dilemmas being hard and heavy. Now, you don't often get a Prime Minister saying, my job is really tough. There are no easy answers. Um, and he's right um, to a degree. Um, uh, and that's why a lot of the public are still giving him the benefit of the doubt. But I think that sort of revealed rather more about his internal thoughts than he is normally prepared to reveal publicly. Um, he's having a tough old time um, and says perpetual lockdown is not the answer. And I think, you know, a lot of people uh, might agree with that. Um, the question is, you know, is it better to keep going in and out of these uh, uh, manoeuvres um, or is it better to have the same sort of level of constant control and Boris Johnson clearly thinks that having a bit of a fun summer and uh, allowing people out for Christmas was worth worth the effort I suspect in the end the numbers will show that those were questionable decisions but how psychologically would the nation have coped had we just been in a sort of perpetual uh, you know tier four it would have uh, felt pretty miserable and there would be political consequences for that too so it's not an easy job. Um, and I think we got a bit more of an insight into how he feels about it today. I do wonder, actually, when, you're right. That, that although, you know, people's taking a step back and all, we're all armchair epidemiologists now and saying, well, if we'd lock down sooner or lock down longer or whatever. But, but also people sitting at home watching this or listening to this um, stuck at home now into the third or fourth week of a national lockdown. They probably don't feel like um it's been you know we've all been having a gay old time uh, uh, and enjoyed the life of Riley and so when Keir Starmer tried to make the argument that we haven't been tough enough people right now might be feeling well, actually it has been uh, has been pretty tough uh, let's go back let's, let's hear from Keir Starmer again Starmer 
Mr. Speaker, the problem with the Prime Minister avoiding the question of why is that vital lessons won't be learned. The reality is this. The Prime Minister was slow into the first lockdown last March. He was slow in getting protective equipment to the front line, slow to protect our care homes, slow on testing and tracing, slow into the second lockdown in the autumn, slow to change the Christmas mixing rules, slow again into this third lockdown, delaying 13 days from the 22nd of December before implementing it. And I fear that he still hasn't learned that lesson. The latest example is the continued delay in securing our borders. We've known about the variants to the virus since early December when it was announced in the House of Commons. We know some of those variants are coming from abroad, but we don't know the route. Surely the Prime Minister can see that what is required now is that everybody coming into the country from anywhere in the world should be tested and subject to quarantine in a hotel. Why can't that be put in place today? Mr Speaker, throughout this pandemic, it's been the habit of the opposition uh, first to uh, support one approach and then to attack it and to, uh, to twist and, and to turn. It was only uh, recently that the Shadow Transport Secretary was saying that quarantine measures should be relaxed, uh, Mr Speaker. We have one of the toughest regimes uh, in the world. Uh, we test, uh, ask people to test 72 hours uh, before they fly. They have to produce a passenger locator form, or otherwise they're kicked off the, the flight. Uh, they already have to quarantine for 10 days. And my right honourable friend, uh, the Home Secretary, will uh, be setting out later today, if you uh, care to uh, wait for that, uh, even tougher measures for those red-list countries uh, where we are particularly concerned about, uh, about new variants. And again, I think what the people of this country want for us now to do is to come together as a government, as a parliament, and to get this thing done. Uh, so confirmation there that it's Priti Patel is making that announcement um, uh, later on. One thing that just struck me there, and, and I know this is a, you know, it's a, t- it's a bit of tip for that. And, poli- you know, this is politics, essentially. But Keir Starmer accusing the prime minister of being late into the lockdown in March. I went back because I remember writing about this at the time. Um, it, at no point did Keir Starmer call for uh, a lockdown. While Rory Stewart was calling for schools to shut. And Boris Johnson finally got around to chairing COBRA. I remember this. Keir Starmer was tweeting that Dawn French was backing his bid for the uh, Labour leader. Uh, he called for further compliance measures, a national income guarantee, support for parents, regular press conferences. Um, but Labour only called for a lockdown in March on the day that the Prime Minister announced it. And um, I just wonder whether, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that what happened in the autumn is different, but I wonder whether that's slightly why Keir Starmer's criticism now um, fails to slightly land with the public because for most of last year he supported almost everything that the government did. Yes, and that first lockdown, notoriously, my understanding is he was tipped off by someone on one of the calls where the fact that the lockdown was about to be imposed was uh, revealed. Uh, one of those people from the left of politics let him know so he could put his press release out demanding the very thing that was about to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you and I are perhaps even more cynical than the people listening. Um, <laughs> some of these things. But I think the broader point about Starmer is that he's still, you know, 
the public is generally aware that there's a new Labour leader. Um, they don't tend to say they know a great deal about him or what his positions are. It, it is, of course, the job of the leader of the opposition to oppose. Um, and it's right for him to try and get Boris Johnson to answer these questions. But general elections are fought about, um, you know, bigger rights and wrongs than that. Um, and a general sense of would people have done things differently? And certainly what I find in listening to a lot of focus groups is that um, uh, People think the government have made a bit of a hash of this, but if you ask them, would anyone have done a better job or would Keir Starmer specifically have done a better job? They're, they're very far from convinced about that. Um, and, uh, you know, his job each week in these sessions is to try and build up that case. Um, uh, but you, you build it up from being right in advance. And to be fair to Starmer, since the autumn, he has generally been pushing uh, Johnson to go further sooner um, because he knows that's the same criticism of, of Johnson that comes from people who work in Johnson's own office, you know, people in Downing Street who are constantly frustrated that he takes an age to make these decisions. Uh, well, let's um, uh, go back to Keir Starmer then and see if he's got a, a spoiler alert. I think there's a new Labour Party policy coming. Let's take a listen. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister complains about the opposition. But the greatest criticism of the Prime Minister at the moment in relation to borders is coming from his own Home Secretary. She's busy telling anyone who will listen that the Prime Minister didn't do enough in relation to the borders last year. And I fear that the Prime Minister is repeating the same mistake in relation to the new variants of the virus. Mr Speaker, let me turn to schools. Everybody agrees that reopening our schools should be a national priority. But that requires a plan. And the Prime Minister hasn't got a plan. So as a first step, a first step, does he agree with me that once the first four categories of the most vulnerable have been vaccinated by mid-February, he should bring forward the vaccination of key workers and use the window of the February half term to vaccinate all teachers and all school staff? Mr Speaker, of course uh, it follows that all teachers in uh, JCVI groups 1 to 9 uh, will be vaccinated as a matter of uh, priority. And I, I, I pay tribute, by the way, uh, to what uh, uh, the huge efforts that uh, uh, parents are making across the country struggling uh, to educate their kids. I know how deeply frustrating it is, the extra burden that we've placed on families by, by closing the schools. And no one has worked harder than my honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Education, uh, to keep schools open. We all want to open schools, uh, Mr Speaker. I think what we want to hear from uh, the Leader of the Opposition is that uh, he will say loudly and clearly what he's refused to say so many times, Mr Speaker, and what the public need to hear is that schools are safe. It's absolutely critical that he says that. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, having teased you about the new Labour policy, it didn't come in that question. I think it might come in the next one. So let's, uh, let's go straight to Kirstarmer and see if he answers Boris Johnson's question. I'm sorry, Mr Speaker, I'm none the wiser as to whether the Prime Minister agrees with me that school teachers and school staff should be vaccinated, taking advantage of the February half term. That's two or three weeks away. It's a fantastic opportunity. And I'm no wiser as to whether the Prime Minister thinks that's a good idea uh, or a bad idea. In the meantime, the government's got a duty to ensure that every single child can learn from home. Without access to a laptop, a computer or the internet, that can't happen. The government was challenged on this last summer. It was challenged on it last autumn. And here we are, nearly at the end of January, 
the best part of a year into this pandemic, and a third of families say they don't have enough laptops or home computers. And over 400,000 children still can't get online at home. Does the Prime Minister realise how angry many families are that he still hasn't got to grips with this? Mr Speaker, as I said just now, I do fully understand the frustration and impatience of families across the country uh, who are uh, educating the, their kids at home. And I know how difficult it is. I know how frustrated teachers are with, uh, with home, uh, with educating remote learning as well. That's why we provided 1.3 million laptops, Mr Speaker. That's why uh, we've provided a £1 billion pound, a catch-up fund. And, and I will be making a statement to the House in just a few minutes, Mr Speaker, setting out what more we propose to do uh, with uh, the reopening of schools and the way forward uh, with schools and what more we propose to do by way of supporting pupils and teachers uh, and parents, Mr Speaker, if, if you will just wait a few minutes. But uh, he's missed his opportunity once again uh, to say what I think people need to hear if we are to get schools to reopen, because that is the best thing uh, for pupils and the best thing for families across the country. I would like to hear from the Leader of the Opposition, uh, in defiance of his union uh, paymasters, I'd like to hear that schools are safe. Don't forget, I just remind okay. the post that it's... Let's jump in there. Um, it sounds like, uh, well, we'll hear from that in a second. It sounds like Lindsay Hoyle might be about to tick the Prime Minister off again as one of his weekly insertions into, into PMQs. The thing that I was alluding to, which I thought Keir Starmer was going to raise, but he seems to have skipped over, is that while PMQs have been going on, Labour's put out a press release calling on the government to prioritise key workers in the ramped up uh, vaccination programme that they'd already called for teachers. Uh, and then, um, uh, but they're saying that the, the other key workers should be prioritised alongside the 50, uh, 50, 50 year olds and 60 year olds. Um, uh, what do you make of that, um, Tim? It just sounded, I mean, the, 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 the Labour leader tried to put pressure on the Prime Minister about reopening schools. It is weird, isn't it, that Keir Starmer won't say that schools are safe? Yeah, I mean, uh, are they safe? Is anywhere completely safe? This is all a balance of risk, <laughs> and we're not point. very That's good, good in this country at talking about, you know, what relative risk is. Um, uh, Boris Johnson's first answer was to say, well, key workers will be prioritised within all nine of the first stages. Um, I suspect what that means is if if you're, you've got a bunch of people who are level five, they'll do the key workers first in level five. I think what, what uh, Starmer is saying is that all key workers should be level five and that not six, seven, eight or nine. Um, uh, and the, the Prime Minister clearly not yet committing to that. Um, it's certainly something you hear anecdotally. Um, a lot of people think it'd be a good idea if schools are so important to the economy and frankly to the sanity of parents, um, then vaccinating teachers would be a good thing. Um, part of the problem, I suspect, is that uh, Conservative governments and the teaching unions uh, are never uh, bosom pals um, and they don't see to eye to eye on this stuff. And there's quite a lot of angst and tension between the two about who really wants to be there and who doesn't. Um, and, you know, that adds a lower, layer of complication to this issue. Um, I suspect um, if that policy is polled, it will prove to be relatively popular, which is probably why Keir Starmer was pushing it. Um, and it smells like the kind of policy that the government will eventually accede we'll to. End up, we'll probably end up there in the end, which is no bad thing for the opposition. OK, let's, uh, it's after a sort of quite downbeat PMQs uh, thus far, uh, let's go back um, to the House of Commons. Let's see what Lindsay Hall had to say for himself, first of all. Prime Minister's questions. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, every week the Prime Minister comes with his pre-prepared lines. I think when 100,000 people have died, uh, he should take the time to answer the question. But when one in three families are saying that they don't have enough laptops or computers, 
His answers are simply not good enough. We're nearly a year into this pandemic. This hasn't happened in the last few weeks. And one in three families say they don't have the wherewithal to do home teaching. And those children are going without home schooling. That's the question the Prime Minister should be answering. Mr Speaker, the UK is the first country in Europe to record 100,000 Covid deaths. We also have the deepest recession of any major economy. Our schools are closed and our borders are open. And my biggest concern is that the Prime Minister still hasn't learnt the lessons of last year. And I fear that as a result, we'll see more tragedy and more grim milestones. Now, this afternoon, I will be speaking to families who've lost loved ones to COVID. The last time I did this, I asked the Prime Minister what he would like me to say to them on his behalf. He replied with a pre-prepared childish gag. I can tell the Prime Minister just how badly that went down with those families when I spoke to them later that afternoon. So I'll ask him again, and I hope this time he'll have the decency to answer them properly. What would he like me to say to those bereaved families on his behalf this afternoon? Okay, let me just jump in there and uh, Speaker, remind I... you of what, what it is that Keir Starmer is talking about. Um, so this was, I think, back in uh, July last year. Keir Starmer asked this question, what would you want me to say to the, the grieving families of coronavirus victims? Boris Johnson went on quite a long de- uh, tour around some of his favourite topics, um, co- covering stamp duty, the Brexit referendum. Uh, and then he said he needs to make up his mind which brief he's going to take today, because at the moment, Mr Speaker, he looks like he has more briefs than Calvin Klein, which is a pretty terrible joke at the best of times. And in response to a question about uh, what would you say to grieving families, it's really not uh, that ideal. Let's see if the Prime Minister takes a slightly different tack this time. Grateful to Right Honourable Gentleman for meeting the families of the bereaved as uh, I have done and I know members across the House have done uh, throughout the, the pandemic and it's important that we, uh, we do that and the message I would give uh, those families is the same as I've given uh, everybody I've, I've met is that I of course deeply uh, personally regret the loss of life, uh, the suffering of their families uh, Mr Speaker but I think the best thing that we can do Uh, to honour the memory of those who have died and uh, to honour those who are currently grieving is to work together uh, to bring this virus down, to keep it under control in the way that we are. And, Mr Speaker, throughout this pandemic, uh, I'm sad to say that the uh, Leader of the Opposition has never failed in his efforts to try to score uh, political points when I think he could be be doing just that. And he has twisted and, and he has... Turned and uh, one week he calls for tougher border measures after the shadow transport secretary called for uh, looser quarantine. He calls for schools to go back. He won't even say this morning that schools are safe. He tries to associate himself now with the vaccine programme because he senses that that may be going well, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, but he stood on a manifesto to unbundle the pharmaceutical companies, the big pharma, uh, Mr Speaker, that made those vaccines possible. And he actually attacked the vaccine task. I know you want me to sit down as we go. I just want to make this point because I tried to make it last week. And, and you saw me. He, he even attacked the vaccine task force for spending £675,000 on an effort to discover whether hard-to-reach groups would take a vaccine. 
And I really cannot think of a better investment right now of public funds. And I hope that later on this afternoon, the right honourable gentleman may think of apologising for what he did and for that attack on the vaccine task force. Mr Speaker, they can go on, and the right honourable gentleman can go on making his party political points. We will go on, with or without his help, in taking this country forward, fighting the pandemic and getting coronavirus down. Well, that's the end of uh, PMQs between Keir Starmer and uh, Boris Johnson there. just alone accusing your opponents of scoring party political points. Yes, thank God there were no attempt. party political points in the Prime Minister's summing up. Exactly right. And if anything, if there's any criticism of Keir Starmer in the past 12 months, it's that for large periods he supported what the government was doing. Some of his colleagues wished he'd been slightly more critical and had scored some more party political points early on. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, you know, he's good at picking over the detail and he's less good at um, swinging a club, which is what certainly the people sitting behind you often want to see. Um, I mean, you know, Starmer had some good lines there. You know, the sort of duopoly of schools closed and borders open is, is quite a good riff that you could do something with. But it was delivered with all the enthusiasm of a uh, someone ordering uh, Fisher to market. Um but, uh, you know, that was a pretty decent outing for Starmer, all things considered. Uh, and Johnson's, you know, yet again had a difficult week. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Red Box podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Listen to my Times radio show every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, you can listen on DAB Radio on your smart speaker. Get the Times Radio app. You can also listen to the Red Box podcast of the Times Radio app as well. And if you want to read about the stories that we've been talking about, then you need a Times subscription to get that. Go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 